Welcome to the College Baseball Recruiting 101 podcast brought to you by Keep Playing Baseball. This is your host, Ethan Gavon, coming to you from Sacramento, California. Keep Playing Baseball is a registered 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping every high school baseball player navigate the recruiting process and play college baseball. At Keep Playing Baseball, we don't think money should dictate college baseball opportunity, and all our resources, including this podcast, are 100% free. No signups, no fees, no strings attached. We'll use the College Baseball Recruiting 101 podcast in many different ways, but the main point is to get you the information you need to keep playing baseball. We appreciate you tuning in to the best source of recruiting information on the go. This episode, we will be talking with a physical therapist about health and wellness issues. We'd like to offer a disclaimer at the beginning of the episode. You should always consult with your coaches and medical and health professionals when making decisions about your health. The purpose of this episode is to educate and create a conversation around player health, player performance, and player preparation. Use this episode as the beginning of your own exploration into what you need to do to stay healthy and prepare for success on the field. As always, be sure to consult with the appropriate medical professionals. What's up, guys? Our guest on today's podcast is Alex Warda. Warda is a physical therapist and the director of the Therapeutic Associates Bridal Trails Physical Therapy Clinic in Kirkland, Washington, a former college baseball standout at Carleton College. Warda works with baseball players of all ages and is a board-certified orthopedic specialist. Word of, thanks for joining us on the podcast today. Thanks for having me, Ethan. Yeah, man. So we want to uh, we want to get into injury prevention and routine maintenance, rehab and recovery stuff. Um, but why don't you just start off by giving us a brief summary of your background in baseball and how you uh, became a physical therapist and got into that field? Uh, yeah, sure, of course. I um, I mean, I I don't think my story will be different than a lot of people out there. I mean. Uh, played uh, travel baseball throughout middle school and high school, ran into some arm troubles and kind of went through the whole physical therapy process. Uh, unfortunately, my, my arm continued to bother me throughout high school, throughout college. I'd say it limited my opportunities with baseball. So uh, I was first exposed to physical therapy because I went to physical therapy for my arm. And now with the knowledge that I have after going through physical therapy school, doing my own research into baseball, I feel like there was there were a lot of things that I would have changed, mm-hmm. uh, both with how I trained and what I would have done physical therapy wise. So now with the knowledge that I have, and I feel like whenever you're older, you always look back at your, your younger self and, and you say, ah, I would have changed that or I regret doing that. I think that there's so much more that you can do to try and prevent arm injuries. There's a bunch, a bunch of research out there, you know, and, and we, we've gotten really good at, at quantifying data, talking about biomechanics, but regardless, UCL tears are continuing to rise despite all of that. So um, I think that there's a disconnect between uh, the research and the, the general public. So trying to get information out to kids when they're younger, how to train, I think will help quite a bit in lowering the injury rates. And just full disclosure for people listening out there, Alex and I were college teammates, and I don't want him to sell himself short injuries aside. He was a really good ball player and had a good arm. 
Um, talk a little bit more before we get into some of that physical therapy stuff about kind of your college baseball experience. You went to Carleton College, which is an academic T3 school. Talk a little bit about how you were able to blend baseball with some of those other interests, like the physical therapy stuff. Was there anything you did in college that helped you prepare for this career path? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I was able to take a lot of the courses that I needed. Um, I mean, of course, any graduate school has prerequisites. I think one of the things that really helped me, and, and this was a common finding among other PT school classmates, was I had the opportunity to work with the sports medicine team um, as kind of a, an assistant, help out with practices, uh, learn how to, to tape things, common injuries, anatomy, um, just so that you can get some on-field practice. Um, You're talking about when you were in college? Yes, yeah. So just helping out with with practices teams, um, being the person on site um, mm-hmm. is a little bit different than I think from uh, other schools. I mean, the Division One schools are going to have their own athletic trainers. Um, being a smaller school, Division Three school, we didn't have an athletic trainer that can be with every sports team at every single practice. Um, so having that opportunity really helped. Yeah. So what teams did you work with in addition to baseball? Uh, I worked with the soccer teams and the football team, and I think that was it. So that probably gave you a pretty good background of, of base knowledge to kind of launch into your graduate school then? Yes. That's great. Well, let's jump into kind of the physical therapy side and, and just maintaining health. And let's talk about some of the common injuries that you see at your clinic among baseball players. Yeah, so I see mostly kids that are are middle school to college age, so anywhere from 7 to low 20s. And uh, the biggest thing, and really you can break it down into two categories. One, the the kids who are still growing and are not skeletally mature yet. So with those kids, you see a lot of little league elbow, little league shoulder, and essentially what that is, it's a it's a growth plate injury that usually is is painful and prevents kids from throwing. Now, when you get skeletally mature, you don't have a growth plate anymore, and that's when you start to see your UCL tears or other ligament problems, labral tears in the older kids. So, you know, when they're younger, I would say anywhere from 10 to 14, you usually see more of the, the growth plate injuries. Then once they start to get bigger, stronger, um, they start to develop more, that's when you get more of the ligament and labral problems. But it's not just arm problems that we see in physical therapy. We see a lot of like low back stress fractures because um, baseball is, is such a rotational motion that it can cause some wear and tear of your back. And especially as you are growing, you can get kind of a repetitive stress fracture of your lumbar vertebrae. And I would say that's that's fairly common because it might just be that we're better able to pick it up these days, but it seems like more and more kids are having problems with their low back. I was going to say that's something that I hadn't really heard of until, you know, just in the last five or seven years as a college coach where this injury kept showing up among some of our younger athletes. What do you think are are some of the root causes. Let's stick with that low back stress fracture that you're talking about. 
and then we'll kind of jump back to some of the things that you had previously mentioned. But what do you think are some of the root causes for that injury? I mean, that's a that's a great question. Um, it, it usually comes down to your lumbar spine, so the, the spine kind of right in the small of your back. It's not meant to rotate. And usually when you get a stress fracture, you have too much rotation through that part of your body. So if you ever take a look at right when you're about to release a ball, if you're a pitcher and you take a look at the, the back position, you can see that there's a pretty significant curve in your back. Mm-hmm. That's really loading up the portion of your spine that's going to lead to a stress fracture. So your lumbar vertebrae is kind of a ring. And the ring, the backside of that ring is what breaks down. And that gets a lot of load when you go into that arched position. So it's essentially, I mean, the things that will lead to that is, is usually they're not using their hips well enough. They don't have enough hip strength or foundational lower, lower body strength. And then they also lack rotation in their upper spine. Now, your upper spine is actually designed to rotate. And if that's mm-hmm. stiff, your body's going to try and rotate somewhere else. So it sounds like with the right training protocols and the right preparation, maybe not entirely preventable because of the nature of the sport, but it sounds like this is the t- a type of injury that players can prevent. Yeah, I think you can always reduce your risk. I mean, the stronger that you are, the less likely you are to get hurt. And I think understanding what you're trying to accomplish when you train and trying to make your training look as similar to a baseball-specific motion as possible will help reduce those injuries. Love that. So that highlights a lot of the movement stuff that we're hearing in the most recent training protocols that are coming out. And and not really anything new, but there's just been a lot more attention given to movement patterns and and training, baseball-specific movement patterns and just movement in general. No, I, I think it's very, very important. Well, let's let's hop back. So you mentioned there's two categories of injuries that you see a lot, and that's a person who's still growing and then a, a fully mature player, right? So skeletal structure. Um, for that younger group of players, the players that are still growing, the growth plate injuries that you talked about, how can kids work to prevent those? And, and what are some of the causes? So it's interesting. So I would say that the injuries are different between the younger and the older kids, but the mechanisms are still the same. The injury just occurs at kind of the the path of least resistance. That's just the part that breaks down. So I wouldn't say that there's, there's a little bit of difference when you treat a younger kid versus an older kid, but really the mechanism of injury is still the same. Uh, I would say that the arm, arm is usually the victim, is usually the thing that, that gives out as the, the weak point in that chain. Right. Um, and that's where we see a lot of the problems. And that's where we've seen a lot of what I would call either rehab or prehab. All the time you see more and more kids on the field before games kind of doing their, their Jagger band work, um, trying to you know, get their shoulders to work properly, really working on shoulder strength. And I understand that that's the, the kind of the focus because that's where most of the injuries occur. But I don't know if kids really focus too much on the lower half and your kind of trunk strength as much as they need to. I always like to, to give a couple examples to my kids uh, mm-hmm. as kind of a, a mechanism for injury. So 
and I, kind of bear with me here with some of these examples, but if you ever look at an astronaut who's floating in space, he cannot rotate without touching something, or he can't rotate quickly without touching something. Baseball is a very rotational sport, so you have to have a connection to the ground to be able to generate rotational velocity. Uh, there's a couple of biomechanical studies out there, and they consistently show that over half of your throwing velocity, the power is going to come from your lower legs. So if you can think about connecting the ground to your hand as being the final result of kind of creating the throwing velocity, you have to be able to transfer force from the ground you know, to your knee, to your hip, through your trunk, through your shoulder, and eventually out into your hand. So if there's a breakdown or a disconnect in any of those areas, you're going to see a reduced throwing velocity. But also what happens is, say, let's say you're not using your trunk as well as you need to, but you're still trying to throw hard. Mm -hmm. What you're going to do a lot is you're going to really try and speed up your arm and really focus on trying to use your shoulder and your elbow and your, your hand as much as possible. And that's what I think a lot of times leads to injuries as well is they're trying to make up for this lack of control from the ground, and they're trying to use their arm. Because everybody thinks, oh, how strong is your arm when you throw? And that's not necessarily, it's a total body motion. Right. Not necessarily just the arm. So let me pause you right there, because I think, obviously, when we're talking about health and we're talking about biomechanics and that type of thing, uh, it's easy for people to get lost. So I want to go back to what you said about you know, people doing band work and their jobs and their arm exercises, all that's good stuff, right? We've, we've addressed a lot of the issues with the shoulder and, and those protocols are very helpful. So you're not discrediting those. You're just saying that there's a neglect on the lower half and other parts of the body because when things do break down, it's typically in the arm. And so that's where people feel like they should focus even though a lot of times it's other areas that are causing those issues. Is that right? Yeah, I think that's a, a perfect summary. Uh, the other analogy that I like to use is, is if you think about a whip, how a whip cracks. And the example I always use, if I just have a whip in my hand and I just spin around in a circle as fast as I can, the whip <laughs> is never going to crack because it's all about a sudden deceleration in velocity to kind of get the whip to crack around. So when you think about where that is occurring in your throwing motion, and I always you know, use a pitcher as an example. Right. If I'm a right-handed pitcher, I need to be able to decelerate a portion of my body to allow another portion of my body to kind of swing around. That is going to be your left hip or your plant leg as you throw. And if you're not strong through your plant leg, that's going to reduce the amount of force that your shoulder and arm is able to control. So it's about strength and control and just being, you know, being sturdy. And going back to what you said about using the ground and redirecting that force, right? So as you deliver the baseball, your front leg lands. And a lot of times it's referred to lead leg blocking, but it has to do with landing in a strong position so that you can redirect the most force you can from the ground back through your body and into your hand. Can you explain that a little bit in a little bit more detail? Yeah, so that, think about your, your plant leg hip as your pivot point. 
So if that pivot point is moving and kind of sliding towards the plate, um, you just you can't rotate around it. I think a, a great person to take a, a look at it mechanically, and now he's kind of on the, I mean, obviously he's an, an elite pitcher and uh, you can't always replicate the mechanics, but if you take a look at Justin Verlander, when he lands on his left leg, his left leg is almost pushing back into him and his knee is going straight. So he is blocking quite a bit mm-hmm. with his lead leg, but that's what he's then able to, then move his body up and over the top of to generate the power to the plate. And so, you know, when we talk about mechanics and replicating people, um, sometimes it can be a slippery slope, right? And so is it fair to say that in terms of mechanics and that lead leg blocking and being strong on that front side, the key is that your knee isn't giving to that strength, you're landing firm and staying firm or firming up? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think that everybody should try and be Justin Verlander. I was just giving that as a an example of, of something to take a look at that you might right. notice in a, in a throwing motion. Um, but the throwing motion is fairly consistent, even, you know, amongst people with different arm slots and things like that. There's still different principles that are going to be in each person. And that is really one of them is the left leg being strong. And so in terms of preventing a lot of these injuries that you see, you know, players coming in and working with you as a physical therapist, would you say that, you know, focusing on that lower half and that rotational strength is, is a key? I'm, I'm yet to have somebody who has come in to the clinic with arm pain and been able to demonstrate either good left hip strength or the ability to control rotation on one leg into that front leg. So, I mean, whenever I do an evaluation of a pitcher, I'm always going to take a look. What does that left hip strength look like? And I'm yet to find somebody who is perfectly strong there. Okay, so you talked a lot about the importance of a strong lead leg and strong lead hip. What other problem areas have you seen a lot I mean, so really, I, I would say actually even bigger than the, the front leg as being a, a weakness problem to address and, you know, a pitcher, a thrower, uh, is the shoulder blade um, and the positioning of that. So if you think about it and if you look at anatomy, and I know not everybody is familiar with the shoulder anatomy, but the socket of the shoulder joint sits on the shoulder blade. So if you can control the shoulder blade, you're going to control the joint a lot better. A lot of times people have uh, weaknesses and strength in controlling those motions. And that's where you, you start to, you know, overload your, your labrum or potentially downstream into your elbow as well. And I would say that there are muscles and their movements that are often underappreciated. And I think, honestly, the, the main reason is you can't see them. Um, they, they sit on your back. It's really hard to know what your shoulder blades are doing. Um, So just to clarify for people, so shoulder blades would be the same thing as your scaps, right? Yes. Yeah. So that's the the medical name is the scapula. So um, shoulder blade scapula is the the same thing. Um, And if you can't see it, it's really hard to know what you're doing. So initially what we work on with physical therapy with a lot of our guys is, is really focusing on the feel. Can you feel when you're able to do this? Are you able to feel this motion? Um, and once they get that feel, it usually clicks pretty quickly. 
And it's kind of cool. So once you see that the shoulder blade starts to stabilize and they start to get stronger there, their rotator cuff tests stronger. They're, uh, you, they can all of a sudden generate more power and lift things up overhead easier. Um, it's again, when you think about the chain, I know we talked about connecting the foot from the ground, you know, through the hip, through the trunk, and then the, the path between the trunk and the shoulder is the shoulder blade. And so that's usually a common area where somebody isn't strong enough or they don't have the, the proper control to be able to connect the trunk to the shoulder. Yeah. And so you hear a lot about scap issues and scap loading, and that's definitely an area where you know, one of those key key areas where people often need a lot of work or have deficiencies in their strength and mobility. Yeah, so it, you think about um, another analogy that I use. So most people don't have pain in their shoulder blade when they throw. So you think of there's a victim and a culprit. So the victim, you know, is your your the front of your shoulder, your rotator cuff, your labrum. Well, that's not necessarily the cause. It's not like your labrum was weak. Uh, the culprit in this case is the shoulder blade and the mechanics that are putting more force at the labrum. Right. I think that's a great way to put it. Cause and effect relationship that doesn't always exist within the same location on the body. Yeah, a lot of time the places where you end up having pain does not equate to kind of what the root of the cause is. Really, really important idea for people to understand. Let's talk about some prevention and routine maintenance. If if we know that a focus area needs to be the lower half and some of that rotational strength, and uh, just an FYI for listeners, there's an article that you wrote on our website about speed and control in the throwing motion, and, and you give some nice demonstrations of uh, four or five exercises that players can do on a regular basis to help them build some of this strength. But walk us through a little bit of your of your research and what can guys do? What are some of the basics that they can do to help build this strength in their hips and, and the strength in the lower half that's going to prevent some of these injuries? Yeah, so I, I think I, and I always ask, you know, kids when they when they come into the clinic, well, what have you been doing for strength? What what type of, of lifting have you been doing? And and still to this day, I think most of the uh, strength and conditioning that baseball players are doing at the high school and uh, most of the high school level um, is more of a football style strength and conditioning where they're working on heavier squats, heavier deadlifts. And those things are very important just to build strength um, and what we call or what I consider like foundational strength. You need to have a certain amount of, of strength to be able to perform a motion. Um, I kind of equate it to, uh, you know, your your body needs to be strong enough that if you're swinging and you make contact with the, the ball, the ball is not overpowering your bat, right? You need to have the ability to create a uh, basically like a, a stiff bat, right? So that right. break down. So same thing with your legs too. You have to be strong enough to withstand certain amount of forces. But oftentimes, and, and kind of what that article was, was trying to get at was we don't focus on the speed of the motion as much as possible. Um, I mean, throwing, I, I'd have to look back at the, the numbers, but I think it's it's something like 700 degrees per second um, that your arm is, or I think that's actually, sorry, your pelvis that's moving 
so it, it's it's a very very fast motion and no matter what you're doing in your body you have to be able to train specific so if i'm trying to work on controlling speed i need to practice going fast and be able to control that rotation into my left hip as much as possible so trying to do things where i'm just moving weight as quickly as possible is very important for baseball and i think that's where you know the squat and the deadlift yes you can do those fast but those are what we call sagittal plane motions that are they're forward and backwards right you're just you're you're staying in one plane of motion and you have mm-hmm. to train the rotational plane as much as possible that makes sense so you know a lot of times you'll hear strength and conditioning coaches or physical therapists talk about bar speed you know and they have ways to measure bar speed so if you are doing lifts they're looking for a certain speed which with which you can get from the bottom of that squat let's say to the top of your squat and you want to train within a certain bar speed but what you're saying is in addition to measuring those types of things and and being focused on moving the bar fast you have to incorporate exercises that include that rotational component in addition to just working in that single plane is that right definitely definitely so yeah there's a lot of research out there that shows that you are only going to get strong in the motions that you train. Um, I know that this is uh, somewhat um, indirect, but they did a shoulder strengthening. They just put people through different exercises Mm -hmm. and they measured essentially how strong they were. So they trained them, you know, lifting their arm forward, lifting their arm out to the side and then rotating it out to the side. And they found that they were, they only gained strength in the motion that they trained. So just generally strengthening your shoulder doesn't equate to strength everywhere else. So same thing can be said with your hip. If all you're focused on is just going forward and backwards, kind of in and out of a squat, you're not going to be able to control that rotation as much as possible. And a lot of that comes down to motor control. It's just like learning a task. If you're going to learn how to perform something, you have to practice it. So the more that you can practice rotating into that left hip, the better it's going to translate to your throwing motion. Right. So what are some of the routines? So, you know, we talked a little bit about the J bands and that type of stuff, which is a clear cut routine that a lot of players do before they play. Are, are you advocating that players incorporate this into kind of a pregame warm up? Should it be part of their workout? What are some of the ways that, you know, high school players can incorporate some of these preventative exercises into their routines? So, I mean, I think it could definitely be a part of both. Um, all, all baseball players should go through a dynamic warm-up before a game, and, and the patterns that they should go through should look something similar to what they have to do in a game, right? So if I'm a pitcher, I need to work on, you know, keeping my front leg fairly straight, bending my front half over the top, get a, maybe a stretch into your hamstrings, be able to control that with your left hip trying to replicate what you're going to do in a game as much as possible. Now, as part of a warm-up, you might not want to do it with weight and really tire yourself out. That's what should be done in, you know, the workouts, in the off-season. When you're trying to move a lot a lot of weight quickly, that's going to tire you out, but that's how you're going to get stronger in the long run, and that's what you should focus on in the workout side. Mm-hmm. So there's elements of both, and you can adapt certain exercises so that they fit either 
that warm up where you're getting your body prepared for those movements or strength building, which is going to allow you to be more stable and, and strong throughout that motion. Yes. Okay. So I want to, I want to talk about kind of recovery in general and recovery as defined in recovery for performance in sport by Housewith and Mujica and also reiterated in Dr. Stephen Oster's new ebook about recovery in baseball. Um, they define recovery as the whole set of principles and processes that result in an athlete's renewed ability to reach or exceed a previous performance. And then one of the quotes from Dr. Osterer's book that kind of captured my attention in terms of recovery was, he says, on the shallow end of our knowledge spectrum, coaches and players are neither prioritizing nor consciously aware of the value of recovering at all. So a little bit of a damning statement there, for lack of a better way to put it. First of all, what what is your reaction to that quote? Do you feel like it's an accurate portrayal of where baseball is right now. Yeah, I do. I, I think even with all of the like media attention on pitch counts and, and trying to control um, overuse as much as, as, as it has been in the last 10 to 5 or 15 years, it's still a significant problem. I, I think I, I saw a, a study um, earlier this year that said that 39% of players are, are still pitching with fatigue. And then here's kind of the, the damning number on top of that is when you pitch with fatigue, you're 36 more t- times likely to injure yourself. So, I mean, there's a huge correlation between pitching with fatigue and then hurting yourself. So as a kid, you really have to watch out and say, I'm not in a good position to pitch here and be the mature person to take yourself off the field, if that's the case. Obviously, the primary responsibility falls on the coaches, and I think a little bit that's what that that quote is saying, is that, you know, there's all this information out there. We know more about the importance of recovery today than we ever have before, yet it's still neglected. And so the responsibility of the coaches to make sure that they're not putting players in positions where they're more susceptible to injury, but also, you know, players, if they can be more aware of it, you know, they can remove themselves from that situation. And at this point in in the game, right, we need to know that it's not always about being the tough guy and, and being the gamer, right? There's, we're talking about a significant increase in injury risk. Yeah, I mean that's that's the key. I mean, un- unfortunately, the the coach, I mean the the coach should be the one who's either making a schedule, you know, checking in with the players, making sure that he's not overworking his pitchers. But when it comes down to it, he could he could create a schedule that that he thinks works for the player, but ultimately the player is going to be feeling either soreness, pain, and he's got to communicate that to the coach. I mean. It, it's really, uh, I know that there's kind of the stigma of, of being a, a warrior or a hero, um, trying to play through pain. Right. But you have to also think about at what cost. I mean, if you're a 15-year-old player and let's say something happens, you then hurt yourself, 
and you lose significant time, you know, next season or, or even the end of that season, it's really hard to get better at baseball if you're not playing baseball. If you're not healthy and able to train and able to play. Yeah. And then, I mean, from a recruiting perspective too, I mean, coaches want to see you play, right? If you're not on the field or if you can't be on the field because of an injury, it's, it's tough to, to kind of show the coach or, or the college or, or whatever you're trying to do, what, what you can do on the field. Yeah. So what are some of these symptoms and what are some of the things that a player should be looking for that are signs that, Hey, maybe I shouldn't pitch today. Or maybe I shouldn't train today. What, how, how do you balance, you know, pushing the envelope enough to continue to improve and, and understanding when it's actually hurting you to do that? Right. So I think it all depends on, on what you're trying to do that day. So let's say if, I, if there's a starting pitcher out there who's, who's, you know, getting ready to pitch and he has, uh, I mean, I would say really soreness anywhere in his arm, I would not pitch. Um, I mean, the, the hot spots that you really have to watch out for kind of the, the backside top of the shoulder mm-hmm. um, and, and I guess the front of the shoulder, too. Um, and then kind of the inside of the forearm. If you feel tightness, if you feel fatigue, soreness in any of those areas, I would not not recommend pitching at all. Diving more into this recovery, obviously, recovery is a multifaceted thing, right? So you have the biological aspects you have and physiological aspects you have the mental aspects of recovery um what in your opinion are some of the most important things a player should be doing following a performance or following playing that can help them recover quicker and stronger for the next time out yeah i mean so um that's a that's a really good question and i think that's where we need to do a lot more research and, and really focus on like, what is the effect of, of sleep? What is the effect of nutrition on recovery? Um, now I would really focus on, on those things to allow your body to recover. So really focusing on getting a good night's sleep, eating good, uh, eating good meals. Um, but then also doing some light activity, maybe not the day of throwing, but try and maintain some range of motion. Um, because, when you pitch, you do lose certain uh, ranges of motion following, uh, let's say you, you throw 70 pitches or, or something like that. Um, you'll have different range of motions than when you started pitching that day. Um, so trying to rebalance your body out is important. Um, I know that might be a little bit more technical. But then I, I would say that recovery really is an indicator of how fit you are. I mean, I, I think we've probably all gone through a period of we, we lift for the first time in a, in a very long time and we're significantly sore. But if you really go through a program and you kind of get your body in shape and then you, you do a, you know, a lift, maybe you got a little bit of muscle fatigue, but you don't have the same soreness. So I think if you're feeling significantly sore or tired after, after throwing, it, it's usually an indicator that your fitness is not where it needs to be. So obviously, the more fit you are, the better your chances of recovering and recovering actually not only to meet that same performance the next time, but actually recovering so that you can improve on that performance. Yes. So you mentioned sleep. If I'm a high school athlete, what are just a 
you know, two or three main points that I need to focus on in terms of my sleep habits? I would say consistency. A lot of times people think about, oh, I'll just get one one night of, of sleep and that'll that'll be good. That'll balance me out. Um, it, it's all about consistency and really having a program or, or just say like, hey, I'm going to get eight hours of sleep every night. And I think for, for high school and, and middle school age kids, it's, it's really more like eight to 10 hours of sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, so trying to either set, you know, the time you go to bed, time you wake up within those parameters and being as consistent as possible. I think you're making a lot of really good points, right? In terms of consistency is, is a key throughout kind of our discussion here, whether that's being consistent in your preparation consistent in your in your movement patterns and consistent in your performance and then consistency obviously in your recovery protocols and the way that you're preparing your body to return to its previous ability to perform so i I love that now we've mentioned it earlier in the discussion but you know there is there has been an increase in tommy john surgeries so i want to talk about that aspect of recovering from an injury, which is obviously different than recovering from uh, performance. So call it rehab or, or whatever you want. You know, many of the basic kind of return to the mound throwing programs or return to play throwing programs for, for Tommy John seem to be pretty bare bones. And, you know, in terms of moving players back to only 120 feet before returning to the mound or prescribing lifting programs that are free from overhead lifts and kind of developing that strength overhead. Do these throwing programs that you see do enough to get players ready to return to throwing in a competitive capacity? I mean, so I think when you, when you take a look at a throwing program, what, what the goal of the throwing program is, is just give you something to slowly increase the volume of your throwing. Now, Mm -hmm. When I give somebody a throwing program, there's one thing that's missing from most that isn't addressed, and that's intensity. So let's say I'm I'm throwing at 90 feet, right? If I'm trying to throw the ball as hard as I can at 90 feet, it's going to be a lot different than if I'm just lollipopping it uh, just to get it there. Um, And and that's something that, that really you should have a communication with, you know, your doctor, your physical therapist, your athletic trainer. And just so that you're you're on the same page with knowing how hard to push it at the right time. So again, I mean, it kind of comes back to everything that we've been talking about today. It's all about education, knowing what you're trying to do, having an intent with your your throwing, your training, and just making sure that you're on the right page. So if you are going through a program after doing a rehab, and it doesn't have to be at UCL. It's it's like let's say I haven't thrown in in two or three months, um, you should be focusing on slowly increasing your volume, slowly increasing your intensity as well. So having a discussion with, with you know, somebody like a physical therapist would be great. Um, and then the, the second part of your, your question, talking about the overhead lifts, I usually do uh, overhead lifts, maybe not like a strict military press with my baseball athletes, but most pitchers are going to come with an over overhand or three quarter slot throwing motion. So you have to be able to train the mo train the muscles to stabilize or 
create power in that position as well. Right. So I will definitely address that as, as well. You know, there used to be a period of time when anything overhead for, for pitchers specifically was kind of demonized. And luckily we've moved away from that. And, and is that for that same reason that you just mentioned, the need to be strong in those positions overhead? Yeah, definitely. I think what what was happening before was people were actually hurting themselves more than they were helping themselves uh, when they were lifting overhead. And and I think that goes back to, you know, things like um, the military press where you're not strong enough, you know, through your shoulder blades, through kind of your, your shoulder girdle. But just like the rotation stuff that we were talking about earlier, you have to train what you're going to do when you perform. So you have to be able to have strength in that three-quarter uh, arm slot, overhead arm slot, with the muscles that you need there to generate power. So that's something that you have to train. You can't expect your body to just stand up or you know go out to the mound and be able to perform the way that you want it to. Excellent. Yeah, really great information. And since this stuff is can sound complicated, and if you're not familiar with some of these concepts, it's it can be really hard to understand as a as a high school player trying to get better. Can you give just a brief summary of kind of your main points about what we've talked about or what's kind of your your elevator speech to them in terms of what they need to be doing on a regular basis? Yeah, so I, I would say if you're if you're a, a player who, you know, has questions, don't be afraid to reach out and ask somebody. I mean, you could probably, you know, either talk to your athletic trainer, talk to a, a local physical therapist. If you stop by and you ask a couple questions, I don't know of a physical therapist who won't help you out. We, we want to see, you know, that somebody's motivated to learn. We will we'll never turn somebody away. So don't be afraid to get help. I mean, I, I think that it will, will help you significantly. But my, my elevator speech is, you know, you need to address your weaknesses, now, that's going to be different for every person. And that's why, you know, it, it's nice to, you know, go through an evaluation with a doctor, with a physical therapist. Take, for example, somebody who has kind of a, a loose or, you know, floppy or, or sloppy shoulder, like somebody who's hypermobile, you're, you're going to treat that person or, or work on different things compared to a somebody who has a really stiff shoulder. Mm-hmm. So it's not a one-size-fits-all um, type thing for, for training. I mean, if, if that were the case, it'd be very easy to kind of get the most out of um, your performance. But you really want to break it down and, and what are your weaknesses? I mean, maybe your shoulder is strong and you need to work on your, your core strength, your hip strength, uh, your flexibility. Um, that's where it's it's good to get evaluated. Yeah, that's a really good point. And it's, it's also something we try to reinforce on the baseball side of things that it should be a constant process of evaluating where you are, evaluating your strengths and your weaknesses, and then creating a plan that attacks those weaknesses and improves on your strengths. And that applies not only to your baseball skill set and your baseball specific training, but also to your physical training, your your strength and conditioning programs, your prehab work, and, and everything that goes into that and goes into becoming a better player. I also like that you mentioned a disclaimer that we've mentioned before that you should always, when it comes to your health and it comes to your workouts, eh, you should always seek the advice of professionals. You know, what you hear on this podcast, these are suggestions, but as you just mentioned, 
um, everything should be tailored to that specific individual. So while there are principles that are good for everyone, it's important that you seek the necessary help. And as you mentioned, there's a lot of people out there willing to give that help who want people to be healthy and be able to perform at their best. So I think that's really important for people to understand. No, I, I think that's a fantastic summary. Uh, and I think that it just comes down to your, your prehab, your training, trying to put yourself into uh, the best position to perform. If you can train better, you will see the performance on the field improve as well. Um, so it's all about the work that you do in the off season, uh, in between games, on the field as well, really trying to get your body in the best shape and position for you to be able to perform. Yeah, that's great stuff. And for, for our part, we'll continue to try and put that education out there. We'd love to have you back on the podcast again to talk about, you know, more specific aspects of, of training and physical therapy and prehab, but really appreciate you taking the time to jump on the podcast with us today and share your knowledge for these guys. Of course, Ethan. Thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning in to College Baseball Recruiting 101 podcast brought to you by Keep Playing Baseball. As always, if you need more information on the college baseball recruiting process or what it takes to play college baseball, you can find that for free on our website, www.keepplayingbaseball.org. You can also track us down on our social media accounts. That's Twitter, at KeepPlayingBB, Facebook, KeepPlayingBaseball, and Instagram uh, handle at keep playing baseball. That's it for this episode. We look forward to catching you next time. Until then, take care.